Welcome back to the BC Buckets podcast, the official podcast for Briarcliff University basketball. This is Matt Gall, joined here in the coaches' offices at the Newman Flanagan Center with head coach Marks Figuera. And uh, no guests today, coach. It sounds like it'll just be you and I to, to catch up on the week and talk about the upcoming week. Hey, you know, Matt, I was looking back through some of our old episodes, and the most listened to episode of this entire season was just me and you, so I figure... Let's give the people what they want today, which is just the the original duo of of you and me. Sounds good to me. I mean, we bring obviously we bring guests on to to make sure that former players and whoever it is know that you know they're appreciated and and stuff like that. But the glue that holds this thing together since day one has really been you and I. Yeah, I mean it's really you, Matt. If we're being if we're being serious, right? Yeah, well, of course. So uh, we've got some fun things to get to today, um, as well as somebody who's really making a run at, I think, listener of the year for the pod. And if you listen the last couple weeks, you might you might know what I'm getting at there. But uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about that in a little while when we talk about no, that brings questions. up an idea. I mean, is there a is there a market for the year end BC Bucket podcast awards? You know, kind of like the Dundies, something like that. You know, we could have listener of the year, guest of the year episode of the year um i i think we could be on to something here yeah i think anytime you can judge the people who are in your life in some way shape or form to let them know who's the best who's the worst um you know i, I think that way everyone knows do that every day at. matt yeah exactly that's that's part of what we do here that's why we have starting five and these other things but uh no that's awesome so uh kent malone uh, our listener of the year so far he's making a strong push for it he has some really good questions for us this week and uh, we'll get to that here in a little bit but as always we talk about what went on in Briarcliff basketball in the last week or so in coach two conference games on the road we'll start with last uh, Wednesday night up in Orange City at Northwestern uh, you guys lost 89 to 76 and what's always a tough place to play up there in Orange City what was the story of the game yeah that was uh thought we had a really really good start on uh on Wednesday night really back and forth game for the first probably eight nine minutes of the first half and and Northwestern went on a run and and actually I think got the lead to double digits before we cut it to five right at halftime and and felt pretty good so going into halftime we're down five and and I felt pretty good about it because I thought we had a couple little tweaks we were going to make that were going to help us uh, I didn't feel like we had a great second half of the first half and and so I thought if we could come out and get a couple stops uh we'd we'd be right in the thing and and we'd be good to go and and we did we got six consecutive stops to start the half which I mean that's that's just really hard to do in college basketball and especially in our league uh, how offensive minded it is um you know unfortunately we we weren't able to convert that into any points of our own and uh you know so that that I think that was the big moment in the game had we been able to you know, hit a three and, and, and a two or a couple threes and all of a sudden we're tied or we're, we're ahead, I think that changes the complexion of the whole second half. And what ended up happening was they, they went on a little bit of a run and we just played catch-up for the rest of the half. And, you know, it's a, it's a story we've seen before, unfortunately, this year. Um, but, you know, I, I thought our guys, in terms of just how we competed, I thought that was probably the best game we've played in – in a while and, and and you can you can build off that even even in a loss um you know and i i think that shows our 
despite the struggles we've had here these last few weeks, our guys are still really fighting, um, and they're not giving in and they're not giving up. And I think that's a testament to them. I think it speaks to the character of our team and, and to the character of the players in the program right now. They're going to continue to fight. And I think we could we could say the same thing. I'm going to jump ahead to yesterday's game out at Hastings. Um, you know, similar story to Northwestern. We had a great start. Started out up 8-0. Had a seven-point lead at the 13-minute mark in the first half. And at the eight-minute mark, we had a seven-point deficit. And that's kind of been – it's been a real Achilles heel for us is those five-minute runs where we're not very good on either side of the ball. And so we, we went into half with a deficit, came out, got a score, cut it to eight. Um, I think that was at about the 18-minute mark in the second half. And then at the 12-minute mark, we were down 20-some. And so you're talking both halves, similar situations. I think at our, at our worst, we were down 25, and we cut that thing to six with a minute and a half to go. And, you know, we had, we had some, some really good performances off of our bench uh, yesterday in particular. I, I thought Quinn Vesey and, and Will Johnson gave us some outstanding minutes. And, and those two guys, I can't say enough about what those two have done the last couple of weeks. You know, they weren't up until eight, nine days ago, they weren't playing any kind of regular minutes. They were kind of always the guys that, you know, I was talking to, telling them to stay ready. You know, if your time comes, you need to be ready to go in and do your thing. And and when that came for both of them, I think they've done a great job of that. And and so that's that's encouraging to see those guys really stepping up. And, and we, we figured some things out offensively in the last, I would say, 10 minutes of that game yesterday. And so, again, there, there's things to build off. It's really frustrating. Um, you know, I you take away one of those runs yesterday, and it's a completely different game. And, and so – we're just going to continue to figure out and try to pinpoint what it is that's causing those kind of runs to, to go against us and not for us. And, and when we do, I think, I think the tide's going to turn. I think it's going to turn quickly. Um, you know, we're, we're at a point now where there's not a ton of time left, though. And we go on the road this week to, to Mount Marty, and then we are home for the last six games of the regular season, which is, which is awesome. I feel like we've been living on those dang buses. Um, here this whole month of January but uh you know our guys are still fighting and they're still they're still playing hard they're competing and I like I said that that that's encouraging to me and because I know they're frustrated they know I'm frustrated we're all frustrated and, and we're in a we're in a territory we have not been in a long long time at Briar Cliff and and so just having the guys that are gonna come in tomorrow for practice ready to go and and really try to figure this out uh, that's really encouraging to me. When you're having a season where you're struggling a little bit, like this season, do you, does your expectation change much for what you expect from your upperclassmen leadership? Because um, I know in, in past years we've had, you know, the the really nice privilege of asking our upperclassmen to keep, you know, the underclassmen's heads in it, focused on the goal, um, not letting their heads get too big. Whereas this year it's a little bit different. You know, the focus is on staying in it, staying competitive each game. Um, what have you seen from guys like Jackson and Ethan and Austin, uh, Roteman, just in terms of how they've been able to keep guys together and keep the group cohesive going through? Like I said, some struggles that the program really doesn't see too often. Yeah, I, I think our guys have done a good job. Um, you know, I, I think that the players – 
probably have a shorter memory than I do. Um, I think they're able to, to probably move on quicker than I am. And, and that's a really good thing as a player, I think. Um, you know, but that, like I said, I think what I said a minute or two ago can answer that question and just how, how hard our guys are competing and, and what our practices are still like. Um, that I think that speaks volumes to the leadership that we have. And, and we're not going to change the expectations of the program or the standards of the program because we've lost some games. That's just where we can't do that. Um, you know, and so I, I've been really happy with how our guys have, have handled it. So, like you said, at Mount Marty on Wednesday, and then you start that home stretch in February with Morningside next Saturday. Uh, and those are both teams that we lost to earlier in the season. Uh, Mount Marty is just a completely new look for that program. They've been playing some good ball. I think they've been ranked a good chunk of the season. Uh, then, obviously, Morningside's been number one in the country for quite some time. So, um, you know, you know that – with both of those games, they're going to be tough matchups, and uh, you kind of are, have already had a look. So especially with – we'll start with Mount Marty because we play them Wednesday. They bring just, like I said, a totally kind of different look than what we're used to seeing in the G-Pack, typically with a lot of motion and passing. They're willing to exploit one-on-one -on -one mismatches. If they've got a guy who they feel can, can get it to the rim, that's going to be their first look. But they also have the guys who can shoot it, who can sit out, and get those passes if if things get cut off. So, uh, really talented team, really fun team. How are you approaching them defensively since that's really where they hurt us uh, the first time around? Well, I'm not going to give you a full answer to that because, you know, there's a 25% Coach Lawrence and might actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> and so, Todd, if you're listening, sorry, man. Um, but before I talk about Mount Marty, I'm going to bring something up, Matt, I've never told you before something that we do when we go on the road with our team and I'm bringing it up now because Mount Marty's our final GPAC road trip of the year so we've been everywhere but one and this is a stupid thing we started doing it at the very I think it was the final road game last season is as a group when we get to a place we rank the locker rooms okay we, we rank the visitors locker rooms and and it we sometimes it has to come down to voting you know, some guys like certain things and other guys think something else is more important. But now we've been to nine of the ten schools in the league after Saturday's game. And I'm not going to go through the whole rankings. Um, I think unless Mount Marty's redone their visitors' locker room, I think Concordia is going to end the year as the, the best visiting locker room in the GPAC. But it's interesting what guys think are important. For me personally, I absolutely want a lot of space. I don't like being cramped in a locker room. I also, I want a game clock in the locker room. Oh. Because if there's not, you know, and we, we don't have one here in the Flanagan Center, and so what we do is one of our student coaches, he syncs his phone on the same time as the clock, and he holds his phone up <laughs> as, close to his, as close to my face as he thinks is safe <laughs> for him, probably. Um, but if I can just look up, it, it's easier for everybody. Sure. You know, and then you have to take into account, are there benches or are there chairs? What's the shower situation? How many toilets are in the bathroom? All those little things. And so Concordia, they have a really nice one. All, here's another one, proximity to the court. All right. That's where, that's where Mount Marty is going to get 
dinged pretty much all the time. So you you got to you got to hike from the bench to locker room. Weren't we didn't somebody Mount mention Martin. Midland was that way at one point? Yeah, where? Midland uh for years and years. This year we were in a different locker room, but for years and years it's uh two flights of uh, I guess one full flight of stairs through the lobby, uh 60 yards down the track, into a hallway, take a couple more steps, left into the door. Okay. You know, so that that's a big knock on someone if you have to spend a lot of energy at halftime just to get to the locker room. Um, you know, and I think a couple other ones that are up there, uh, Dakota Weslin has a good one. Padded chairs, that was a big deal with our guys. Uh, Dort has a nice one. Jamestown has a nice one. So th those were some of the top vote getters. But it's interesting, that's the first thing we do when we get to a gym. We always meet in the locker room real quick, and we'll review a scouting report or game plan. But we have to get the, the locker room rankings first. So, you know, maybe maybe after this week when we have the definitive top ten, I might go all the way through that and, and have one of the guys come on and, and analyze. So Mount Marty recently did some renovations, correct, in their gym? So they did. They've they've done a ton to their uh to their gym you know, over the past year and it, it looks really sharp on film. Obviously we've not been there yet. But new bleachers, new floor, uh, I think really modernized some things. And I've always thought they kind of have a cool gym mm -hmm. um, that if you did a little work in there, it'd be a cool place to play. So, and they're getting bigger crowds than they ever have that I can remember at least. And I, I think we both know why that is. But, uh, you know, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe the locker rooms are updated and, and way better now. So we, we might need to re revisit this topic next Sunday too. Yeah, we'll see if they put their money in the right places over there. Yep. So, so talking Mount Marty now, you know, Mount, Mount Marty's having a nice year. I think they're 17th or 16th in the country right now. Uh, really nice team, very guard dominant. Um, they really try to spread you out defensively. And like you said, exploit some one-on-one -on -one matchups. They, they really drive it and kick it out for threes. They shoot the three well. They have multiple guys. Almost all the time they're going to have five three-point shooting threats on the floor at one time, and that's – that's probably out of the norm um, where, you know, most teams in the GBAC are still going to have a post player in, whether he's ball screening, whether he's posting. Um, and that does shrink the floor a little bit. They just – I remember thinking after we, we played them the first time, I felt like our guys were like 40 feet away from each other defensively, and there's just nowhere to help from. Now, since then, you know, we've obviously had – we've watched them on film against other people, and, and we have some ideas of what we're going to change and, and do differently this time. Um but they're they they are a good team. Um, they and they, you know they played Morningside yesterday. So the two teams we play this week played right now. So that'll be a nice game to watch to knock out two birds with one stone from a scouting standpoint. But uh, it's 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 an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for us to put 40 minutes together um, to try to take away that five minute stretch that that's really been derailing some of our games as of late. Um, you know, and, and so, like I said, I think our guys are going to be hungry, ready to go tomorrow, and, and we'll start working on game plan specific things. And, you know, we're going to go up there and, and we're going to compete like crazy and, and, and find a way to get things turned around. So then Saturday, like I said, we'll start that stretch of home games. Uh, women will play at two, men will play at four here up at the cliff. Uh, you know, like I said, Morningside's obviously been a top-ranked team. I think they've been in the top five all season, and they've held the number one spot for what feels like, at, you know, well before Christmas, or at least that's what it seems like anyway. So, um, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get with them. Athletes all over the floor, shooters, big guys, they kind of seem to do it all, and they defend. Um, they're really, they're really, really good. So, 
you know, what, what kind of approach do you take, you know, with a team like them coming in where you know that you're going to have to really execute in all facets of the game? Well, you know, you, you, you don't get to like 23-0 and 0 or whatever they are right now by accident. And, and yeah, they are really good. And, and I think if you wanted to try to pinpoint one thing that makes them really good, I think it's their consistency. They're, they're an old team with a lot of juniors and seniors playing a lot of minutes, um, and they don't beat themselves. And, and, and it sounds so simple and, and almost stupidly simple, but watching them on film, just like, wow, this is a great game. And then six possessions, three going each way, and all of a sudden Morningside's up 10, mm-hmm. Morningside's up eight or whatever it is. And it's like they just wait for you to make mistakes, and then they capitalize on them. And so you have to be really good. You have to be very, very sound, um, you know, offensively, defensively, intangible things, whether it's winning loose balls, coming up with tough rebounds. You have to be really good. And, and thinking back to our first game, I thought we played really well in that game. Um, I thought for the most part we defended them fairly well. I think we ended up losing by eight. might have been nine, actually. But uh, – you know, we, we were down five with about five minutes to go in that game. We got three straight stops, and we went three straight uncontested threes offensively, and we missed all three of them. And I, I remember watching that film with the guys, like, just telling them, we can't be mad about missing these shots. We can be upset we lost the game. Um, but when we're getting what we want to get offensively, yeah, we missed the shots, but that's what we wanted. So I think uh, – you know, that first time we played them really well, and, and we're going to go with a little different game plan this second time around. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be a fun game, and I, I think anytime we play them, it's a fun atmosphere. Um, it's a big game for both teams. And we're going to try to be as, as consistent and as just rock solid as we can be on Saturday because that, that's, that's how we're going to win that one is just being as consistent as we possibly can for 40 minutes. I, like I said, it's going to be fun. You guys are playing here six games in a row um, to kind of close out the regular season. So uh, it'll give local fans and hometown fans a chance to see a lot of games, you know, in February. And that all starts with Morningside again at two and four on Saturday, the first of February. Uh, so make sure you get down here, support the guys. I know Morningside's going to bring a crowd. They always do. Uh, I expect it'll be a full gym and a loud gym and just a great college basketball environment. So if you've never been to a Briarcliff Morningside game, uh, make sure you get here. Uh, otherwise, you know, I know we're going to have a, a good crowd that day. Okay, so coach, you know, now is life rules time. And uh, there's one thing that's that's something I've always kind of noticed, but it, it came to light, especially this week. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, so here's here's the situation in general. So say it's in a school or a mall, just somewhere where there's a common hallway. And off of the common hallway, there's either offices or classrooms or stores, whatever it is. There's people coming in and out. So here's the situation. Somebody's leaving an office, walking out of an office into the common hallway without looking to see if there's anybody walking through the hallway. They might be on their phone. That's, that, that's not good, yeah. Matt. It's, right. it's like driving a car. You, you, you walk down the, the right side. Um, if you're coming, if you're entering the hallway, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, the right of way goes to the person walking in the hallway. You need to, to stop and check and, and make sure there's nobody coming so you don't run into them. That's, that, that's life rules 101 in my opinion. Just like driving a car down the right side, 
let the people going straight continue on before you try to cut them off and turn in front of them. It's uh, yeah, that that frustrates me too. You know, you see it a lot with cell phones. People they're they're kind of veering across the hall into oncoming traffic, or they're coming out of an office or store, uh, not paying attention and about to bump into somebody. You know, it's kind of a Nick Lutmer type thing too. That's what we call it in our program. But uh, yeah, that's just pay attention. Well, I gather if you just have a general sense of spatial awareness and you understand that what you do in the world affects those around you, you're going to probably be good with most of coaches life rules. Cause a lot of these relate to just understanding how you affect those around you. Uh, but you know, a- another thing that's kind of similar to that, somebody's leaving a store or something like that. They get to the door and that's like, Oh wait, was, where's my husband or where's my kids? So they're holding onto the door, turn around, look around right in the middle of the exit. Yeah. Make sure you have everybody with you. That's irritating as well. Hey, and and while we're on life rules, I've got a life rule call out from one of our past guests, um, Lance Creech, who was on a couple weeks ago. And when we were out in Hastings yesterday, I had breakfast with him yesterday morning. And he confessed to me that he broke his own life rule. And he went into Walmart at, I think he said, 10 o'clock at night with his headphones on. Yeah. And and got a couple things at Walmart. So... You know, fortunately, nobody wheeled a cart at him with ice in it, but uh, he did confess to breaking his own life rule. Well, if you've ever been to Walmart after about 9 o'clock at night, there's a lot of just social rules that kind of go out the window as regards to how people dress and how people act. So I think it's probably okay if it's Walmart and the sun's down. You can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah, I suppose. But, I mean, if you're going to go on on something as official as the BC Buckets podcast and give a life rule – you probably need to obey your own life rule. Fair enough. That's it. Yep, I hear you. And, and while we're on the topic of Coach Creech, he also has a champ or chump for us this week. Okay. And his champ or chump is wearing a hood and or winter coat inside during the winter. And, and I'm going to give you a little context on this. Okay. We, we were sitting in our hotel breakfast area yesterday drinking a cup of coffee, and our players started shuffling in to eat breakfast. And one or two of the guys walked by with their hood on, and he said, what is it with kids and hoods inside? And it kind of morphed into winter coats inside when you've been inside for an extended period of time. And and maybe it's a generational thing because I see it all the time. You know, our guys are are big on wearing hoods and all that stuff, and I'm not. So, I mean, it's the ultimate chump to me. But uh, it was an interesting conversation, and, and I'm not on board with it. Our guys are. That's Maybe I'm just old. So on that same note, since we're kind of talking about apparel, um, Jay Wright, longtime listener, former guest on the podcast, uh, sent a message on Twitter. He's asking for your opinion on, on whether this is okay. Uh, long sleeves rolled up while playing hoops. Is this a champ move in six-year-old basketball? And he put on Twitter, there's a picture of, uh, a little little guy with some white long sleeves rolled up just to right under his elbows. So they're not at the crease of his elbows. So I would say it's more of a three-quarter type uh, sleeve if you're going to really define it. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I'm not going to get into judging six-year-old youth basketball, but if we're going to put this in a, in a college basketball context, that's a chump for sure. You know, if you're going to wear a long-sleeve undershirt, which – I'm not a fan of. I think that's a chump in itself. You know, leave them down at least. Well, and to be fair, a six-year-old 
is going to wear either whatever you tell them to wear. They better, anyway. Or they're going to throw a fit right before the game. And as a parent, you're just going to get sick of it and be like, fine, wear whatever the hell you want. And yeah, so, it, and I can't speak to the parenting yeah. side. And that that's another reason I'm not going to get into uh, youth <laughs> basketball fashion statements. Yeah. But uh, in, a, in a college basketball, pro basketball, even high school basketball context, that's a chump move. Yep. Hear you. Uh, like I said, Kent Malone had reached out, uh, and he's he's on week three of just having some golden listener questions and champer chump. So we'll just stay on the champer chump topic since that's what we're talking about. First one's a good one: buying candy somewhere else and sneaking it into the movie theater. Champer chump. I guess if I've done that in my life, I have to say champ, don't I? I just called out LC for breaking his own life rule. I can't I can't call something a chump that I've done. In well, the past. it's never too late to get back on, you know, the right path. So I think you, it's a clean slate. From this day on, how are you going to live your life, champ or chump? I, I think I'm sticking with champ. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to pay $6 for a, a thing of Mike and Ike's at the movie theater. That's just ridiculous. And I, and I don't go to movies. I couldn't even tell you the last time I went to a movie. So movie theater champ or chumps are tough for me because I really <laughs> just don't even go. But uh, this is my... This is my protest against movie theater prices right now, champ. So I've got a funny little story about this. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, so there used to be a Walgreens in the mall where Victoria's Secret is now. That used to be a Walgreens pharmacy. And my dad was the manager of that for several years. So um, like Halloween, there'd be trick-or-treating in the mall, stuff like that. We hung out in the mall a lot because that's where my dad worked. But anyway, in the mall, there's also a movie theater. So my dad would always have one of those you know bunkers where you can put merchandise he'd always have a big bunker of like box theater candy right at the front of the store selling them like two for a buck or something like that and so uh this is according to him but i guess the theater manager actually came down one time to complain saying basically you know we need to work together and you're really undercutting us and kind of gave him the business about you know stealing the candy business and my dad's response was this is america yeah that's capitalism that's man. right that that's that's a champ on your dad's part and a chump on the movie theater guy's fault yep. i mean where where are you gonna go if if you have to put gas in your car matt and say high v gas is 220 a gallon and casey's a couple blocks up is a buck 80 and that's worth your drive up to Casey's a few more blocks. You know, just the same as you're, if you're at the movie theater at the mall, it's worth your time to walk down to the Walgreens and, and save some money. That's right. Yep. So I think we're on the same page there. Another champer chump, carrying all the groceries in from the car in one trip. Maybe, champ. Champ, for sure. It's a, it is a champ, and I know there's more to it because I can see you're still reading it. But I, I take great pride in making one trip. And it actually started – when uh when we lived in dickinson north dakota we lived in an apartment complex and i could park fairly close to the door but you're still talking 30 to 50 steps depending on the time of day and what kind of parking spot i got and it gets really cold in dickinson north dakota in the winter so the last thing i wanted to do was bring half my groceries in you know probably have my shoes covered in snow or ice or whatever else was going on I'm not going to track that into my place, so I'm going to take them off. And I'm going to put them back on to go back out to get the rest of the groceries. So I, I take great pride. My wife still makes fun of me, uh, you know, because now it's a pretty easy walk in from my back door, from my driveway. But I, I take great pride in the one-trip grocery bag into the house venture. 
I'd be willing to sacrifice one of my hands with the blood circulation that's cut off from having 20 bags in my hand just so I don't have to walk back down to my car. Yeah, and, and if uh, two slices of bread are a little smashed as a casualty, I'm good with that too. Life goes on. Yeah, our house, our garage is, is like in our basement. It's kind of tucked under. It's kind of weird. But so you have to go through two doors to get to the kitchen, a door from the garage to the house. That's cumbersome. It's com- Well, so what happens You don't want to do is, it twice. Well, the problem is I can't get the doors because my hands are full so i've got 20 bags Matt, i recommend that you get a little more practice well how you're holding your grocery sack well sometimes you've got you know a 12 pack of something in one hand with a carton of milk it's just not possible so what happens is i'm standing by the door yelling at my wife as if she's doing something wrong by not getting immediately to the door to let me in so that's her her complaint is that i make it her problem that i don't want to take two trips down to the garage but that's not cold weather. So let's let's qualify this. I'm not out in the cold. It's just pure. I don't want to walk down my steps one extra time. Is that still okay? Does the do yeah the, yeah yeah it is. The conditions don't matter. It, it, conditions don't matter at all because it's like for me it's just this little competition with myself and nobody else. I guess you could say with the grocery bags, but it's just a little competition. And there's this really small, brief sense of satisfaction I get when I get them all in in one trip. There you go. So those are the champ or chumps for the week. Um, keep them coming. Kent, whether it's you sending us more or anyone else, if you want to get in on this, we'd love to hear them. Just a quick reminder, our Twitter address is at BC Buckets Cast, uh, and our email is bcbucketspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, keep them coming. Those are awesome. Uh, we've also got some listener questions here. So the first one, uh, Jay Wright, like I said, uh, is a loyal listener, and he reached out. I, I apologize, Jay. I meant to get this on last week, but I overlooked it. So he basically wanted, you know, and this this I think is kind of a common, almost played out question with basketball, but he wants your take on comparing the 2016 Warriors with the 96 Bulls. And I'm sure this will be the first time anyone's ever broken down this matchup. Well, I think I've probably said this before. It's really hard to compare different eras of basketball. You know, I I lived for the 90s Bulls as a a kid. I loved watching them. They were on WGN all the time. So I am biased as a Bulls fan, a Michael Jordan fan, you name it. I think they win that series. However, if played in 2016 with those rules and how basketball changed and evolved – I'm not so sure, you know, because you watch those old Bulls teams and it's mid-range jumpers all over the place. They got big bodies all over the place. It's there's there's nothing that resembles. I guess there is something that resembles like a four or five guard lineup, depending on who was in the game for the Bulls. But uh, I mean, I, I would pay to watch that series. I've argued this with some of our guys in the past is. Those 90s Bulls teams were unbelievable defensively. You had Scottie Pippen, who I, I probably think is one of the greatest defenders in NBA history. So he's going to be able to guard anybody. Michael Jordan was like a six or eight time all NBA, all defense team. He's going to guard anybody on the perimeter. Ron Harper was a really good defender. He kind of ran the show for him offensively, but he was a really good defender. Rodman could guard anybody. And was an unbelievable rebounder. And then they had three big guys that they just throw in there. Like when they when when they would have to play Shaq in the Eastern Conference in the finals or wherever, 
they always had 15 fouls. They could throw at Shaq to, to hack a Shaq him. And, you know, they were really good defensively. And I, I think the Warriors would have a harder time guarding the Bulls than the Bulls would guarding the Warriors. And that's where I'm giving the, the 96 Bulls the edge. Who's a bigger asset, Kerr at the three-point line or Kerr on the sideline? That's a great question. Uh, I'm going to say Kerr on the sideline for the Warriors. You know, he's going to have a lot of insights to that 96 Bulls team when they're matched up. So he he's going to have maybe some little things that are, hey, guys, here's what you can do to really get under Scottie Pippen's skin. You know, so I think that the Bulls can go find another set shooter to shoot threes. Um, the Warriors might not be able to find another coach that has that kind of insight to the 96 Bulls. All right, great question, Jay. And then we've got some questions from Kent Malone. First one, if you could change, alter, or remove one rule in college basketball, what would it be? I have to pinpoint one. I'm a big advocate of going full international rules in college basketball, which would be 24-second shot clock, moving the three-point line, which we are moving the three-point line back to that uh, next year. But it would be quarters, advance the ball on timeouts. So I uh, – that's my actual answer. If I were to, if I, if he wants me to pinpoint one, I, I'd like to see the move to quarters. College ba- men's college basketball is the only basketball in the world at any level that plays halves. Everybody Why do you else think that plays change quarters. hasn't been made yet. Traditionalists. Yeah, there's some traditionalists, ninety-year-old dudes on the rules committee that, oh, we've always done it this way, so let's keep it this way, which is stupid. So I, I think that's probably the biggest thing. You know, the women went to it a couple of years ago, I, and I know just talking to Coach Power, he loves it. You know, you can advance the ball on timeouts, which I would absolutely love. You get one less timeout a game, but you also get the quarter break, the fouls reset. So if you have a game, I'm trying to think, we've had one recently where we were at like six fouls five minutes into the first, second half. And then you're talking about shooting free throws on every foul from there out. At least it would reset at the midway point. I think that's a big deal. So I, I want to move to quarters. And then no, the if that's 1A, 1B is shorten the shot clock. I'm not sure that would have much of an effect for you guys, would it? Probably not, but it it has a positive impact for basketball. That's right. No, I agree. And, you know, I'm I'm still amazed in Iowa high school basketball there's not a shot clock. And I get – some of the the reasons why uh in terms of cost to implement that and and that sort of thing but it just it seems crazy to me that games can be dictated by two or three minute possessions it's just we got to figure out a way to get that done it makes no sense it's terrible all right next question who is the most dominant sports figure in any video game ever and obviously, I mean, I think one comes to mind just immediately if, if we're on the same page, kind of the go-to if we're thinking the same thing. Well, a couple come to my mind. Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl. Yep, that's the one. Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Hard to beat. I, I, I never beat Mike Tyson and Punch-Out. I never played it a ton. My, one of my college roommates beat it multiple times. Uh, those are the two that really come to my mind right off the top of the – top of my head i know growing up we had 1080 snowboarding for uh, n64 and kensuke kimachi was by far the guy you wanted there was him and then there was Dion blaster he was okay uh but 
Kinsuke <laughs> Kimachi. I never played this game. Oh, is the best. 1080 snowboarding for N64. Uh, and Kensuke Kimachi was the Japanese guy. I think Dion Blaster was the American. Uh, but every, I mean, in, when you were playing multiplayer, you could only pick, I believe, only one person could be Kensuke. So you were just okay. in a race to try to get him. Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of like talking about sports video games. You know, back in the early 90s, Michael Jordan owned the rights to himself and he was the only one in the NBA that did so if you pick the Chicago Bulls on like NBA Live 94 it was player number 99 like and all of his like rankings were like the best so it was obvious Michael Jordan but they couldn't use his name I think Shaq ended up doing that uh a few years later too but that's that's why you know Michael Jordan was never on NBA Jam which might be the greatest basketball video game of all time for sure and then uh last question what is coach Figueroa's specialty when it comes to cooking so we know you're a, a foodie. We know you cook, but if you know if you were gonna to enter one dish that you make into some competition, what would be the one thing? Ooh, probably a better question for my wife to answer. I, I really got into smoking this past summer, and and for the listeners, I'm talking about smoking meat on a on a Traeger grill, <laughs> and and nothing else. I don't know that I'm I'm good enough at it yet to to enter anything into a competition. I do make really good onion rings. I, I'd probably say onion rings or would be a go-to. Everybody that's ever had them loved them, so let's go with that for today. All right. So thanks for those listener questions. Uh, again, if you want to get those to us on Twitter at BC Buckets Cast or BC Buckets Podcast at gmail.com. So the last thing we got to talk about, Coach, is this week's starting five. Uh, and just a reminder to our listeners. So the way this works is that there will be a starting five of some category. We'll also have a six man. And then we've also implemented uh, the person who got cut during tryouts. So that would be the very worst in the category. And so for this week, the starting five category is basketball venues, places that you've watched a game at any level. So high school, college, professional, you name it, basketball venues. We'll talk about our starting fives. All right, Matt. So this is this is actually a tough one for me. And, and there's a lot. I have a, a long list of places I want to watch a basketball game. Unfortunately, I've not been to all that many of them. Because of my profession, I'm usually pretty busy during basketball season. So I would love to watch a game at Hinkle Fieldhouse. I would love to watch a game at the Palestra, Cameron Indoor Stadium. Um, you know, those are probably the big three that I would just love to be at. Well, I haven't been any of them, you know. And so when you brought this one up, I'm going to – we're going to have a little bit of a hodgepodge of it was either games I coached in, played in, or was a fan at. So I'm kind of all over the map here. And, and there's a little nostalgia involved with me, as there often is. But I'm going to start – my point guard on this team is the Devaney Center in Lincoln. I was fortunate to play in a, in a handful of state tournament games there. And my senior year, we got beat in the state semifinals in front of a huge crowd. And it was when you grew up in Nebraska, that was just, that was the mecca of basketball. I remember going to state tournaments as a kid there with my grandpa and, and being able to play there. There's just such a nostalgia for me for that, that, do I think it was an awesome basketball venue? Absolutely not. It was old. It wasn't that awesome. But the nostalgia factor kicks in. So that's my point guard. 
um, on my basketball venue team. My two guard, this one's probably going to be the outlier, but I just remember it was an awesome game, and I thought it was a cool place, and they don't play there anymore. It was the Hearn Center at University of Missouri. I watched Iowa play at Mizzou. I was in college on Christmas break and, and went to a game there. It was just a cool old place. I think it was the f- – it wasn't the first. It was one of the – I've only seen Iowa play live in basketball a few times in my life. And so that was a cool place. They don't, like I said, they don't play there anymore, but it was a cool venue. My three guard is the Pentagon mm-hmm. in Sioux Falls. I, I think that place is awesome. I think it's one of the best basketball venues in America. And you take, take away the fact that it is a small venue. You've been there, Matt. The place is awesome. It is, it's a, it's a high-class place. I've been fortunate to coach a handful of games there. And actually the best game I've ever been at as a fan was two years ago. I went to the NCAA Division II National Semifinal game. It was Northern State and Queens College. And uh, Andy Foster, who's the, the coach at Helan here in town, he's a Northern alum and had tickets in a suite at the Pentagon and, and called me up and asked if I wanted to go. And the game, I think it went to double overtime. It was just unbelievable atmosphere. That 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 was the best basketball game I've ever been to. So there's the Pentagon. Number four, probably a little bit of a nostalgic thing too, is the Superdome in New Orleans. That was the first Final Four I ever went to. And I've said before on the on the podcast, watching basketball in a football arena is terrible. But I, I watched the first game was Louisville and Kentucky. And I'm sitting twenty rows from the top. And you couldn't tell who was who down on the court. Well, second game was Kansas and Ohio State, and I was sitting three rows behind the Kansas bench. And that's pretty odd. But the place is just massive. Final four, the electricity in the building is just awesome. So there's the Superdome as our power forward. And then my five-man is the Air Force Academy. And and little-known fact about me, until the age of about 14, my, my dream and goal in life was to be a fighter pilot. It got squashed at 14 because that's when I went over the height limit to be a fighter pilot. Oh, no kidding. What is the height limit? It was like 6'3 or something oh, okay. like that. But when I, when I coached at Dickinson State, we had the opportunity to play in a, in a two-day classic at the Air Force Academy. And we played at Texas Southern and Air Force. And, and so for me, you know, it was a nostalgic childhood thing. Hey, this is the Air Force Academy. Like, I wanted to play basketball here. And it's, they have a cool facility. Um, draw, they're not – they're not anywhere near a powerhouse in basketball, but they draw a good following, and it was a really fun game. Uh, so that, the, and I can't remember the name of the place now, so I'm just going to call it the Air Force Academy. <laughs> and then I have my sixth man, Civic Auditorium in Omaha, Nebraska. It doesn't exist anymore. That's where Creighton played when I was a kid, and and I remember going there as a kid. You could go sit wherever you wanted because nobody went to Creighton games. Now fast forward. 25 years later, they're top five in attendance every year. They play in a new building. But I, that was the first time I ever saw an Iowa game, actually. Iowa played at Creighton and got whooped right back in the late 90s when Creighton was starting to get really good in basketball. But that's where the Metro Holiday Tournament was always at Civic Auditorium, so I remember going there as a kid. Um, but it, it was a cool place to watch basketball, and, it, and it's too bad it's gone. And now, my cut. This has been the toughest one. And... I'm going to rule out any high school gyms because I see a lot of them. And, you know, you, there's some small towns. You know this, Matt, in Iowa, Nebraska, where those gyms haven't been updated in 40, 50 years. 
and it's unfortunate, but it's also kind of awesome because I love old gyms that have character and, and quirky things about them. So I'm going to limit this to college and or MBA. And I'm going to jump in real quick and just say it's a very thin line between what makes, especially like a high school venue, awesome or just not very good. Because yeah. a lot of times they look very similar. A lot of wood. Uh, stage. We talked about the stage. Just the the old nostalgic stuff that hasn't been updated in decades either for uh, for reasons that they wanted to keep it character-wise or budgetary reasons. But, again, that can be a pretty thin line because um, some of those gyms that have that old style pull it off really well. Some you can tell, though, just maybe had too many vermin or something that <laughs> ate away well, at the bleachers. Well, and, but, and sometimes you get – and I'll give you an example of this. You get the old awesome gym. And then they build a new one that's new and beautiful, and it's not the same. Yep. So Omaha Creighton Prep, for yeah. years and years, they, they played in a gym. It's called the Birdcage, and it was, it was tiny. Their students were literally right on top of you underneath the basket. Didn't have a huge capacity, but it, it was the best place in the state of Nebraska to watch a high school basketball yeah. game. Then they, about a decade ago, they built a brand-new place, and it's beautiful. It's a great facility, but it's just not the same watching the game there. It's, it's bigger. It's brighter. Um, there's something about dark lighting in an old gym yeah. that, that I like. Yeah. On, on that same note, I got to mention this. When I was in high school, we played – I forget what the school's even called. There's a little Christian high school in Bigelow, Minnesota, which if you've ever been on Highway 60 north of, like, Sheldon and Sibley, yeah. it's the very first little town right on the border on Highway 60. There's maybe 10 houses, uh, maybe, like, a, a auto body shop or something like that. But there's an old building where they had a little Christian school – and for whatever reason, one year we scheduled a game with them and we get up there and I think maybe they had five or six guys on their roster. Uh, it was like one bench just around the perimeter for spectators. The lighting didn't work very well. Um, it was fluorescent lighting and not nearly enough to light the gym. But, you know, probably a terrible venue, but a memorable game just because you'd never play in a place like that. So it had character. I mean, it was it was probably a safety hazard because you couldn't really see anything that was going on. But uh, it was definitely a unique environment. I think that school has been gone for probably 20 years now. But uh, that's one I had to throw out there is one that kind of walks that line between character and uh, fire hazard. All right. My gym that got cut is a G-Pack gym, former G-Pack gym. The old gym at Concordia was terrible. It was a, it was actually kind of fun to play there, but it was a terrible gym. They had the old wooden bleachers that, uh, you know, like things could fall through them. Yep. They were so old. Um, the lighting was just off. It was like old dark lighting, but not the cool kind. It was like the lights were in the wrong places or somewhere like something like that. And, and a true story, when I was a senior at Dana, we were supposed to play there on a Tuesday night, and I think it was Tuesday afternoon, probably not long before we were getting ready to leave, and Coach brought us all in and said, hey, we had to postpone the game to tomorrow. And I'm thinking, looking outside, it's nice outside. It's not a weather thing. No, one of the baskets fell out of the ceiling. <laughs> That's a true story. So we went down there. We played on, like, a brand-new basket um, apparatus the next night. That, that place, that was not an awesome place to watch a basketball game. And you brought something up. I didn't think about sitting on the bench of a bleacher for the bench and not sitting on chairs. That's terrible. 
Yeah. Get some chairs. You probably don't see that anymore. Maybe no, at some you high schools. But. Yeah, and at the college level, you don't see it at all. Even there's certain places, you know, like Morningside, for example, though they're, though their chairs are butted up against the bleachers, but you're sitting on chairs still. I will say the best place I ever watched the game, not necessarily the venue itself, but back in 2013, I think it was, NCAA had first and second round games in Kansas City at the Sprint Center. Mm. And so we went, it was my brother's bachelor party weekend, so part of the festivities was going to the basketball games. And we were in the, the absolute top row on one of the sides. I mean, we were about midcourt, but we were way up at the top. But above us was a bunch of media. And so hanging from the ceiling just in front of us, you had to look up, but just in front of us were a bunch of TVs hanging down that had all of the other games going on. That's pretty awesome. So as we're watching Old Miss, it was your Old Miss had that was it Marshall Henderson? Henderson? Yeah, when they beat Wisconsin. Uh, as we're watching that, we can watch every single other game on the screens. While we're, so that was it was just the perfect environment. Watch all of the March Madness games while being at one. It was just it was perfect. There wasn't a better seat in the house for that reason. All right, well that'll do it for this week. Uh, just quick reminder. Bradcliffe will be up at Mount Mar. Oh, coach, we don't we didn't talk about places to eat in Yankton, but I do have to throw out my what's now it's now annual. If it's two years in a row, does it start to be annual? Is that the rule, or does it have to be more than? I suppose as long as it's two in a row. What, it's do, fine. what do they say? Two's a streak. Works for me. So yeah. there you go. So this will be my annual uh, pitch to go. Uh, anyone going to the game Wednesday night? Get pizza at Charlie's Pizza. Fantastic place, awesome food, right across the street from the school. So uh, make sure you get Charlie's. But reminder, games up at Mount Marty in Yankton on Wednesday night and then here at the Newman-Flanagan Center against Morningside on Saturday at 2 and 4. So that's going to do it for this week. We'll talk to you later.